Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to V Brown Bag. Thank you for joining us tonight. If you're here with us live, or thank you for tuning in on YouTube if you're watching this after the fact. Tonight, we are going to be hearing the latest vSphere 7 security news with none other than Bob Plankers. Before we do, some housekeeping notes, though. Um, this is an interactive podcast. If you're watching this live, we would love for you to get on the, in on the conversation. You can use the Q&A here in Zoom. Uh, if you want to chat, that's fine. That's better for heckling. Q&A right here on the screen, that's better for questions. So I'll be keeping an eye on that. Um, if you, uh, you know, are watching this after that fact, because, you know, this time, 7.30 p.m. Central on Wednesday doesn't work for you, maybe one of our other shows will. So head on over to vbrownbag.com slash brownbags. Sign up for whichever one works there. You can sign up for multiple. You can sign up for all of them if you want. Why the heck not? And if you missed, uh, you know, the beginning of this episode, the end, you can't stay till the end, or you want to catch any of our other content, check out our channel on YouTube, youtube.com slash vbrandbag. I'm Ken Nalbo, and I'm your host, and I'm going to turn it over to Bob now. I'm going to stop sharing, Bob, and the floor is yours. Excellent. Oh, floors. Here we go. So I am Bob Plankers. Uh, welcome. Hello, uh, friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears, country people. I don't know who all is out there. So uh, I hope you're all staying safe. I hope you're all sane and safe, as, as safe as you'd like to be. And that uh, 2020 isn't treating you, well, I guess, yeah, I'm not even gonna go there. It's a mess. Uh, security is a mess too, it's always a mess. It's always something interesting to talk about. And so that's what I wanna talk about tonight. Um, a whole bunch of new content tonight. This is a brand new presentation. And uh, uh, yeah, so, you know, th this is either going to go really well or really poorly. We will know at the end. So, uh, yeah, and I'm watching the Q&A. If you've got key, uh, questions, throw them out there and we can answer them as we go here. I'll just answer them live, that sort of thing. But uh, tonight, I guess, uh, you know, whenever you watch this, uh, I want to talk in my introduction. I've titled Welcome to the CIA, the CIA Triad, uh, Security versus Compliance. I've, I've been doing a lot of compliance work and that, you know, often seems, compliance is often shunned by security professionals and that, and I get that, I get why, you know, and, uh, uh, but we often get drawn into that and I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, it's not going to be a little bit, I want to talk quite a bit about uh, vSphere 7, we're going to take a concise look at some of the new things. Uh, there's a whole bunch of new, inf a whole bunch of information out there about vSphere 7. If you're an enthusiast, you've probably already looked at some of it. I, I don't want to reiterate all of it. I'll cover the high, the high points from a security perspective. There's a lot of cool stuff. Uh, notable vulnerabilities. Unfortunately, some of them are ours. Um, you know, it's, it's always, it's, it's a sad truth that there will always be vulnerabilities. And like I say here, extremely wordy way of saying patch your stuff. Uh, and then at the end, I'd like to follow up uh, with some security hardening, talk about some practical things that we can do right now and what we're, what we're doing uh, moving forward. Especially, you know, as we're locked down, we're working from home. We don't want to go into the office very much. Maybe we can't go into the office. So thinking about that sort of thing. A couple of disclaimers. This is the disclaimer that you always see in VMworld presentations, and I just put it in all of my stuff. Like I say here, in case I talk about something that might not exist, um, don't buy anything based on anything I say uh, that might not exist. Buy what's on the show floor, not on promises. Uh, that's just good advice for life. Uh, disclaimer number two, in case I talk about, when I talk about compliance and regulatory topics, uh, if you are governed by regulatory agencies, you should have an auditor, you probably already have an auditor working with you to figure that out. And, uh, you know, your own experience, your mileage may vary. I like always talking about the three tenets of information security, the sort of the core tenets of InfoSec when I start out all of my presentations and, and uh, I'm not apologetic about it. I used to say, I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself. I'm not sorry, actually. The uh, um, confidentiality, the idea that we're keeping our data to ourselves, that bad actors stay away from it. That's typically what we think of when we think of security. But security is much more than that. It's integrity. When I leave a piece of data somewhere, I want to return to it and have it exactly the way I expect it to be, whether it's been operated on by some system that I approve of, or uh, it's in exactly the same spot, the same condition that I left it. You know, that's, that's integrity. If we lose integrity, we need systems like backups and things like that to, uh, uh, to help us restore integrity. And then availability. Availability is probably the number one most overlooked piece of information security. 
Uh, and, you know, at the very least, it's what gives us the ability to patch, the uh, ability to update our systems, stuff like that, rely on the availability. Being able to, to have our systems up and running when we expect them to be there, and conversely, when we don't need them there, we can do other maintenance to them, that sort of thing. I recently learned that there's actually uh, the bonus edition of the Tenants of Information Security, the Parkerian Hexad. Uh, I think it was John Parker or something like that, uh, which makes me just think of uh, Buckaroo Banzai, all of the John. I think there was a John Parker in that movie. And uh, um, the uh, uh, that fellow added... Uh, a couple additional ones, authenticity, possession, and utility. I think it's actually sort of notable. And I throw it out there as, you know, even the core tenets of information security aren't, you know, aren't always agreed on. So, you know, everything's negotiable. Everybody's doing the best they can. And so, yeah. Uh, I'll leave the Parkerian uh, hex ad to, uh, I'll leave that to you to Google if you'd like. It's uh, actually fairly interesting stuff, you know, denial of possession. You know, if somebody steals your stuff, even if they don't use it, that's kind of interesting. But from a, a base InfoSec perspective, we use CIA a lot. Uh, CVSS scores, uh, the Common Vulnerability uh, Scoring System, uh, CVSS. The, uh, um, so all vulnerabilities, CVEs, all that stuff have a score associated with them. And part of that score is how they affect confidentiality, integrity, and availability and so you can you can get a sense of of what's affected there you know something that just uh, impacts availability you know denial of service attacks that sort of thing maybe not as important to you as something that affects confidentiality where your data will actually leak and so that where that's how that plays in the other thing too is vSphere you know most every feature in vSphere is aimed at reducing risk of some sort uh, in IT in infrastructure and uh, we can actually map a lot of these features right back to these the, to the CIA triad. And uh, you know, when when we're talking to auditors, when we're talking to our compliance-oriented folks, when we're talking to management, you know, what are our, uh, what what does what does a manager, what does a CISO, what does a CIO care about? They care a lot about risk and risk to the business. They want to minimize risk. And we, if we start speaking this language, we start speaking these terms, using these terms, relating things back to risk, you know, talking about how VM encryption reduces risk, how uh, Lifecycle Manager, uh, one of the biggest features, actually, I, and I'm not going to mention it here, well, I'm mentioning it now, I guess, I'm probably not going to mention it later, but one, the, the biggest feature that's security related in, in vSphere 7 is Lifecycle Manager fixing patching so that it's more tolerable, that it works better, that we can patch firmware, hardware firmware. We will talk about that. That's a serious problem right now. And uh, uh, fixing that sort of stuff. That's the biggest feature, uh, security feature in vSphere 7. You know, do we consider it a security feature? Yeah, not, not always, but I do. But it, it's aimed directly at reducing risk. So while we're on the topic, you know, that's a good lead into security and compliance. And I, I often, I, this slide started out, this intro slide here started out as security versus compliance. And, and I looked at it and I thought that's wrong. You know, like it's security and compliance. And the deal is, you know, we talk a lot at VMware about security. We've got a whole business unit called uh, uh, the security BU, the, the carbon black that uh, deals with security. They sell tools around it. They help integrate in, they've got some great stuff there. And, uh, and I'm not just saying that because I'm, you know, I'm obligated to my, because I work for VMware, you know, they actually have some really cool stuff and, uh, you know, but there's another side of that coin, you know, there's nothing you can get from, from the security view, from nothing you can buy from VMware, uh, will fix your compliance situation. You know, that's a whole different ball game and it's a, a, a it's the other side of the coin. You know, the flip side of the same coin. Security and compliance go, you know, peanut butter and chocolate, that sort of thing. And we love to hate compliance. It's often forced on IT. Somebody walks, you know, uh, and I'm speaking from experience. I spent 23 years out in, in public sector IT prior to joining VMware. I did compliance-oriented uh, things. I did uh, uh, regulatory stuff. I built high security environments using VMware products. And, you know, somebody shows up in my office with my boss with, and they just scanned my environment and oh my goodness, we're going to die. Oh my God. Oh my God. We're all, 
we're in for it. You know, there's going to be trouble. We need to fix all of this. We need to drop it, you know? And so that's why compliance gets a bad rap. And so I want to talk about that, you know, and I want to start first, you know, understanding what compliance is, why we're doing it. And there's really three reasons that companies choose to deal with compliance. Uh, and these regulatory frameworks. And when I talk about regulatory frameworks, I'm talking about like PCI, DSS, HIPAA, GDPR, um, ISO 27,000, 27001, um, NIST 800-53, NIST 800-171. There's a ton of them. CGIS for the Justice Department here in the U.S. Um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of them. The, and the regulatory requirements help a business can often help a business sort of balance the needs of the business versus the security they need. You know, too much security is costly. It impedes people's ability to do work. I often joke that security is a slider where there's usability on one end and security on the other. And, and you trade off, you trade off usability. Every time you add security, you make it harder to do something else. And so we need to be very thoughtful about that. Uh, the flip side is, uh, too little security is costly as well. You have a breach, you get sued out of existence, you go out of business, whatever. Uh, customers stop doing business with you. That's, it's just, it's not good. So you need a balance and these compliance frameworks can help suggest that balance. Uh, NIST 800-53 is a, is a common one now, especially public sector. There's a lot of stuff being built on it. It's a nice generic one, believe it or not. And it's actually got low, moderate, and high settings to it. So you can, you can pick. What level you want? Do you want uh, just the baseline low? Uh, maybe something you're doing requires moderate, that sort of thing. And then it scales up, and uh, that's really nice, actually. And it's not. And actually, I really, you know, not to profess my love for a, a document, but the uh, I actually really like NIST 800-53 because the uh, um, I, th I think it's very accessible and it gets people thinking about not just technical controls but processes as well. The other thing too, the second thing is uh, regulatory guidelines, compliance helps prove, helps an organization prove that they're doing security, you know, uh, helps them document that they're doing security and it helps them uh, act, show that they're, they're meeting requirements across an entire industry. These uh, PCI DSS is a set of requirements that's been normalized across the whole industry. And so there's a level playing field there. You want to accept credit cards, you need to, to uh, you need to meet these requirements. And a third-party auditor needs to uh, say that you you definitely meet these requirements. You know, same healthcare data. You need HIPAA, uh, biological sensitive biological research NIST 800-53, and submit to CDC audits. That sort of thing. Not that I'm bitter about it, but part of my past. Anyhow, third thing is gain the ability to operate in industry in an industry. So you pass the requirements, you pass the test, you can do business. You know, you can take credit cards, you can store. Uh, information about crazy viruses, that sort of thing, whatever, you know, if you, if you fail, then they take it away from you. And that's a, that's the biggest business driver. That's why your boss is standing behind you with the compliance auditor holding a scan and going, Oh my God, Oh my God, we're all going to die. Want to take a, a step uh, before we go too much farther here. I want to talk about uh, frameworks, uh, compliance frameworks versus implementation guides. Uh, one is a suggestion. One is not, you know, a compliance framework, is a set of guidelines. NIST 800-53 is a set of guidelines. Guidelines. It tells you what you need to achieve, but it doesn't tell you how. And it's like me telling my wife, hey, we need to drive to, uh, I'm in Wisconsin in the USA here, uh, Mad the Madison, Wisconsin area. It's like saying that I need to drive to Des Moines, Iowa. And uh, um, the, uh, the regulatory requirements, I have to be in Des Moines, Iowa. But it doesn't tell me how to get there. There's a whole bunch of different ways I can get there, and that's up to me. Same with the compliance framework, these guidelines. It uh, doesn't tell you how to do it. And so that's really the problem. It's left up to the judgment of, of folks. And often we turn to the prescriptive side of things, the implementation guides. And they're very prescriptive, like a DISA STIG, the Defense Information Systems Agency, part of the Defense, uh, Defense Department here in the US. Uh, they issue STIGs, uh, Security Technical Implementation Guides, and the whole federal government uses them. They're, and they are very prescriptive. They say exactly what you need to do to a certain product to make it secure the way the DOD wants it. And if you don't meet it, you fail. You know, it's very inflexible like that. Compliance frameworks are not that way. 
And, uh, and so it can be a discussion, you know, NIST 800-53, maybe you can't meet a two-factor uh, two authentication requirement with uh, our PCI is a great example, it requires two-factor authentication for a lot of stuff. Maybe you can't meet that with one of your devices. Maybe you have a network device in the middle of your environment that uh, just isn't going to play well. Well, you know, there are other ways to, to, get, to go about that, to meet that, and it's called compensating controls. Uh, and use that term. Use the terminology that auditors use, that risk assessors use, that uh, compliance folks use. And they'll understand. They'll, their eyes will light up. Hey, you get this. You know? And then you can have a conversation about it. And that's really important. But generally speaking, the prescriptive stuff and tool, uh, the prescriptive stuff just basically tells you, you know, turn this particular security nerd knob to 11, and that's what it needs to, to stay at. If it's not set to 11, then you fail. And I, I also like joking that no compliance effort ever survived contact with an application. Uh, some of the, the hardest to wrangle applications are the ones that take credit card information, things like that. I've dealt with ones that needed to be logged in on a console. Uh, it's just, and they're a mess. And so you need those compensating controls a lot. And so, like I said, it is a discussion. Any tool that purports to check your compliance. And I'm gonna lump VROPS, I love VROPS. It's one of my favorite monitoring tools uh, for virtualized environments, for, for sure. Um, their compliance pack is like that, you know, like it is, they've got a PCI compliance pack and it'll look at your environment and say, hey, you pass or no, you don't pass. And it's, it's just checking an implementation guide. And so do you actually pass? Do you not? Eh. And so we've actually done a bunch of work with them. Uh, uh, Mike Foley, my predecessor with uh, Vsphere Security, and I have done a, a ton of work with the VROPS folks to make that flexible so that you can shut a lot of those alarms off if you're not meeting one of those controls. And so, yeah. Uh, I've got a little asterisk here. Please don't use the CIS benchmarks. Or if you do use them, uh, take them with a grain of salt. Make sure that you're, you're checking what versions they're for. Generally, they're just copying our hardening guides or security configuration guides. And uh, um, they're really old. The ones that are out there are really old. We get a lot of questions about them. And we're, we've been talking about uh, maybe we should just engage them straight up and actually fix it. I think the, uh, And I think that's the course that's going to happen. But it'll probably be late this year or early next year before that happens. Uh, one of the things that we've got out here, and I normally talk about this at the end of my presentation with resources, and, and I think the slide is there as well. We've got these security and compliance kits out here as part of the VMware Validated Design. The VVD, VMware Validated Design, is a uh, reference implementation for a whole bunch of VMware products. And so <clears throat> it's, it's also prescriptive. It, uh, uh, it talks about, you know, there's isolation built into it and that, but it does, the, the prescriptive stuff doesn't really tell you why to do something. You know, the guidelines always say why to do something, but they don't tell you how. The prescriptive stuff tells you how, but not why, you know, and we try to bridge the gap here with these compliance kits. And uh, people are really loving these things. Uh, we've got a database, a patented database at VMware that can take NIST 853 as a baseline and then pivot it into like PCI and other, uh, other regulatory requirements so that we can figure this out. And we're starting to release these. So if you have to, if your environment falls underneath NIST 800-53, PCI, that sort of thing, all the security controls that you need to set or our suggested ones at least are all right there. And so that's a pretty powerful thing. Check it out. Uh, when you download it, it's a zip file. It's, there's an on, it's just an, a big, it's like drinking from a fire hose, but you'll get it. There's one in there that's just got all the security controls in it. It's a really interesting read. So a lot of stuff from the hardening guides as well. So to finish this all off, and I know, you know, I'm probably boring the crap out of, of a bunch of you, but stick with me here. You know, like there's some interesting stuff coming up. Um, remind, remember that you're all on the same team, you know, when you're talking to auditors. The, uh, it's probably the case that the auditor knows nothing about vSphere. And so they, they don't have any idea how your implementation is, of vSphere is going to achieve that goal. They've got a report from a tool sometimes. They've got third-hand knowledge. You know, somebody told somebody, told somebody, told the auditor that you're doing something or maybe you're not, you know. And uh, it's a communication problem. So remember that you're on the same team. Remind them that you're on the same team and that you need to work it out, you know. And it's your job as a vSphere admin to to implement this stuff. You know, they come up with, uh, InfoSec comes up with policy, you implement it, they check your work is always the way I've seen it. And uh, I've always really liked that, that arrangement. 
Second, read the original regulation yourself. Ask the auditor, if, if you're being held accountable for something, go out and do a little bit of research. Uh, ask the auditor what, uh, what exactly is the control that, that they're looking at uh, in what version of, the of which framework, you know, NIST 800-53, uh, the uh, moderate uh, and the controls are labeled like AC12, you know, and so go look it up and uh, um, it'll be enlightening. Uh, a lot of what we see it, like TLS, uh, a lot of PCI, for example, requires TLS 1.2. And so we get, a, we get people that, that have a scanning tool that actually recommends, and this is the difference between security and compliance, recommends that you shut off certain cipher suites that are in certain ciphers that are in TLS 1.2 because they're not considered to be secure anymore. There's some SHA stuff in there, for example. And until TLS is updated, until that, that requirement is updated, um, you know, there's no regulatory requirement to do any better than that. From a security perspective, yeah, you know, but that's the sort of stuff you'll learn if you read the original regulation yourself. Is that, hey, you know, actually the, the compliance framework, the regulation doesn't say that we need to do better than TLS 1.2. Let's talk about it later. Let's prioritize the stuff that's actually uh, broken, that's actually a, a bigger problem, that sort of thing. And you can have a conversation around it. And that's a, that's a really interesting way to go about it. Um, evaluate it as is. Evaluate your environment as it stands. We hear from time to time, um, and by time to time I mean about monthly now, where uh, security auditors, risk auditors wanted people to turn on SSH on all the ESX hosts, or SSH environment, loosen firewall rules. And guess what? All of those security holes that they asked for ended up on the report. Oh my goodness, you've got SSH turned on. Well, yeah, you asked for it. Thanks a lot, pal. You know, uh, and there was one, one group that I, I talked to that uh, um, the auditors were actually trying to charge them for help remediating it. Well, what the heck? You actually asked for it to be turned on. SSH, uh, if, if you can do something for yourself from a compliance perspective, shut SSH off. These hosts are not Linux boxes. SSH doesn't work. It's a support interface. It doesn't work like a Linux box. Uh, you log in. Everybody's root when you log into uh, uh, SSH on an ESXi host because the idea is that you're not supposed to be there. You know, it's a troubleshooting interface. It's a support interface. We ship it off and disabled and firewalled off for a reason. And leave it like that, please. You know, and so evaluate your environment as it is. Stand your ground. If they want something, you know, think about it uh, because if you loosen your security, it's going to show up on their report. Compensating controls, we talked about that. Uh, I want to just introduce the idea of compensating controls that you can use their terminology, you know, uh, a, a term for getting, achieving a goal a different way. And then last, uh, leverage the audit for change, uh, change that you want, you know. Um, you can get things out of an audit too. Auditors love putting things in their report that are sound security problems and you know about them, you know, maybe, maybe there's something that's bugging you. Maybe you've got some DBAs with a monolithic database and it's huge and they won't, they don't want it to vMotion. By the way, uh, vSearch 7 re, totally redid vMotion. vMotion is a lot smoother and a lot quicker now, especially for v, uh, big VMs. And so that'll lead again, another security thing because it plays into availability and that you can now vMotion much larger workloads more quickly and without long stun times. But uh, so maybe you've got something that uh, the DBAs are like, absolutely not, you will not vMotion it. And it's just, now you can't patch your environment because you've got this, this uh, VM that's pinned to a, a certain host. Well, you know, maybe you can use the audit to, uh, to help loosen that up. Well, we could patch if we could just, you know, get our vMotion back, that sort of thing. You know, uh, is that manipulative? Yeah, you know, it's manipulative. Uh, should you do it? Well, that's that's your call. It's up to you. And I will say, I, you know, in my past, I've pulled stunts like that. You know, there's a reason I am mentioning it now, and it's because I've tried stuff like that. And, and uh, you know, I've gotten some, uh, some good traction out of it from time to time. Uh, in the DBA case, I was stunned to learn that uh, when I pulled the stunt on a, a couple of DBAs, I, uh, uh, the, turns out the DBAs loved it. They were actually, they wanted to rebuild the whole thing as a clustered database anyhow. And so sticking it in there as uh, in the report and forcing the issue actually made them happy as well. I ended up with new friends and you know, hey, cool. So don't assume, I guess is, is the answer there. So let's talk about vSphere 7, you know, the uh, uh, vSphere 7 that's new release, lots of new stuff. Uh, Kubernetes is in it. Uh, Kubernetes adopts, 
Uh, the Kubernetes, vSphere with Kubernetes uh, has, adopts a lot of the same security controls that are in vSphere, and so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. That's really nice. I talked about Lifecycle Manager. Uh, new DRS. Uh, DRS has re been revamped. It's, it no longer cares about workload, uh, the cluster workload, whether the cluster is happy or not. Who cares of whether the cluster is happy? We care about workloads, right? So now it focuses on making workloads happy, and it's got a lot of new metrics there. vMotion. Mm, pardon me, vMotion is faster. vMotion is, uh, uh, doesn't stun VMs as, as much at the end, uh, much more efficient as far as copying memory and things. There's new certificate management as well. Um, actually, most of the stuff that's in 6.7 and the 6.0, all, all the same uh, certificate management options are still there. Um, we've deprecated the solution users, the solution certificates. We're trying to get rid of those. So 7.0 is a transition period for that. You can still see them in the command line interface, the command of the certificate management manager, certificate manager that you can get when you log into SSH or via SSH to a vCenter server. But the, uh, they're not visible in the UI anymore. And like I said, we're trying to get rid of them. We still do recommend hybrid mode. Uh, I don't know if you've caught the news lately that the, uh, um, <clears throat> the, the standards bodies around certificate certificates and PKI and things are recommending. And now there's some browsers that are gonna do it. I think Safari and Firefox or Safari and Chrome, I think Safari and Chrome are going to uh, lower the uh, uh, legal age of a certificate to you, a certificate becomes invalid after 398 days now, basically a year plus some fudge factor there. And uh, um, that really is going to push automation, automation for certificates and things like that. In vSphere, there's the, the VMware Certificate Authority. It's part of vCenter. It's there. It, it distributes certificates among all of the, uh, <clears throat> all of the hosts. And uh, uh, that's, that's a powerful form of automation. We definitely recommend people continuing to use it. Pardon me just a second. While you pause, I'll just remind folks, feel yeah, free to it. fire away your questions. I will happily interrupt Bob to get them out there. I probably put everyone to sleep here with the compliance stuff. Sorry, folks. Hey, I'm awake. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's important. You know, like it's, I want to start talking about it more. Uh, like I said, this is some new content here. And so some feedback about it is welcome as well. The, uh, uh, and I might just uh, shorten it and then split it off onto its own stuff. But uh, uh, no, I appreciate the tolerance of it. So getting back to this, VSGX, you may have heard of Intel's uh, software guard extensions. They're basically a secure enclave. An application can ask the CPU, hey, can I keep a secret? Can you and I keep a secret? And we cut the hypervisor out of it, uh, cut the, the guest OS out of it. And the CPU's like, hey, sure, you know, no problem. And uh, um, so we're exposing that now to VMs. It's and we put a V in front of it, VSGX, and uh, um, straightforward. Uh, there, you gotta you gotta have a CPU that supports SGX. There are no dual socket CPUs that support SGX at the moment, and most uh, most of the ones that do the CPUs that do are for, are either desktops or low end server CPUs, and so that can be a problem. Um, SGX is also vulnerable to nearly every uh, secure CPU vulnerability that's been released in the last two years. So uh, uh, yeah, your mileage may vary. We'll just leave it at that. Identity federation. I want to talk about identity federation. You know, we talked about Kubernetes and people talk about the Kubernetes stuff, but the idea that uh, um, <clears throat> we can now federate with Active Directory federation services and in the future additional services using SAML and OAuth2 and OIDC uh, to participate in a corporate uh, identity management structure, corporate uh, uh, AD and, and things like that, gets that off of our plate. As vSphere admins, we can be done with that. And uh, um, <clears throat> we, can, uh, uh, we can give that all to somebody else. The, the other part, parts of IT that worry about that, they work with HR, they work with everything. And so the net effect is you uh, type in your... your uh, uh, Username, your username is now a full UPN, you know, a username and domain, uh, in this case, Tony Stark at Stark Industries. It figures out, are you trying to log into local SSO or are you trying to go out to your corporate identity provider? Kicks you out there. And this is where two-factor comes in. And so, <clears throat> big thing with compliance, you know, and see, that's why I really want to talk about compliance is it weaves its way into everything. You know, passwords are dead. 
and the use of passwords, getting rid of passwords, doing something better than passwords is being pushed by compliance frameworks. And so um, to meet that, you know, how do we do that? Uh, we can either teach vCenter server how to speak to all of these different two-factor authentication uh, tools, and that's going to that's gonna consume the rest of our lives, you know, and we're, we're not going to be successful. Or we can federate. All of these things plug into ADFS, and so that was the most accessible way for us to, to start doing this. And so, uh, um, yeah, so plug it into ADFS, uh, stand up a little ADFS server, uh, probably for availability reasons. Hey, there's a CIA again. The uh, uh, probably a couple of ADFS servers, a little farm there, and then the point vCenter server at it. Uh, it's flexible MFA because, like I said, everything plugs in there. We don't have to worry about it. SSO is still around, so administrator at vSphere.local. You can create some local accounts for service accounts and things like that if you need them. Uh, you do have to choose between Identity Federation or AD over LDAP or uh, AD over LDAP and IWA, uh, Integrated Windows Authentication, are one course, uh, one path, or Identity Federation is the other path. And you have to choose one, one or the other. You, you can't have both. But SSO is still there regardless. So like I, I said, Bob. Yeah, what's up? So um, can you federate with both ADFS on-prem and ADFS in Azure or one or the other or both? It is uh, um, <clears throat> the, uh, uh, oh, here, sorry. The, uh, I'm moving my chat window around. The, uh, um, just on-premises stuff right now. The, uh, uh, act, uh, the Azure Active Directory stuff, if you can bring it back so that the on-premises stuff is uh, um, <clears throat> what you're pointed at the uh, uh, and I, I don't know what integration you have what integration options you have with Azure AD on-premises and things like that but if there's that option it'll likely work you know but our first step here this is you know baby steps towards world domination the uh, uh, the first stop here was to get something out the door get it working you know and ADFS like I said was the most accessible choice if you've got other ideas, if you if you need other things, uh, you can let me know. Because uh, so Azure, I just wrote, I just made a note to tell our product manager that we've got another vote for Azure AD as well, and we're kind of keeping score right now. It's kind of like a turtle race. And, Put me down for Facebook authentication too. That's oh, dude, you know, <laughs> just kidding. Fired. So anyhow, uh, so and I I want to mention it too. 7.0 deprecates integrated Windows authentication. Deprecation means that it's still supported. So 7.0 is supported for what, five years? There's a KB article about the whole lifespan of it. So it's like five years and that, and uh, oh, there's a, something in the chat right now, but- uh, That's me. Okay, cool. Attendees. Oh yeah, it's US. Okay, cool. And somebody is awake. Ryan says that I put his uh, three month old to sleep. Uh, congratulations on that uh, and you're welcome. The uh, um, uh, IWA deprecated, and it's still there. You can still use it, but IWA is a snarly mess of of gray area when it comes to domain joins and uh, administrator rights in AD versus administrator rights in vSphere. And we firmly believe that good fences make good neighbors. In fact, I even put it as the subtitle here. Uh, you know, and good APIs make good neighbors too. You know, and so moving forward past 7.0. So 7.0 will have IWA in it until it, well, until it's done, you know, until you stop using it, you know, whatever the seven, whatever vSphere.next is, and, and it, it'll still be there with the update releases and things like that. Update releases change things from time to time. They add features, but we will not remove a, a feature like this with an update release. Um, the next major, major version, we will remove IWA though. And so what you'll be left with is AD over LDAP. And we often call it AD over LDAP, but we would really like you to use AD over LDAP S, uh, S for security. I know it's S for SSL, but uh, you know we don't use SSL anymore. We use TLS. Um, that's a fairly straightforward thing. You know, it's secure. AD over LDAP S doesn't generate those pesky uh, Active Directory 2889 event IDs uh, in your logs but it's not natively compatible with two-factor authentication, multi-factor authentication, that sort of thing. Uh, Duo has got an LDAP proxy that I've used in the past as a customer, and uh, uh, that's been fairly successful, and I think there's some other uh, solutions out there that uh, have something similar. I'm not, I'm not uh, 
well-versed on all of the different options there. But ADFS setup is harder, you know, the Identity Federation route, that's the other main source of authentication moving forward. Uh, ADFS setup is, hard, is harder, it's got a little bit more complexity to it, but, uh, um, you know, it offloads the authentication Authn to corporate systems, you know, gets you out of the the loop there, and it's got great MFA options. It's extremely secure, and we still do encourage people to not use AD for <clears throat> AD groups, especially for access to a vSphere environment. Why is that? Well, if somebody compromises your AD, they can just add themselves to that group, right? I think it's what account operator rights that you need in AD in order to modify group membership. And so if somebody gains that and, you know, a pen, pen testers, uh, some of my pen tester friends that, you know, drop a, uh, um, a drop a, a USB key on the floor and somebody plugs it in to see what's on it and things like that. And uh, um, the, uh, 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 yeah, that's what they're going for. They're going for Active Directory credentials, you know, and they can work their way up. Uh, there's a tool called Bloodhound. It's a really interesting tool. Uh, that you can do, use open source to analyze path uh, a path to administrator inside of Active Directory and things like that, and so the uh, um, uh, yeah they'll find their way in there they'll add themselves to the act the Active Directory group called vSphere administrators and then they'll just log into your infrastructure you know they don't have to hack anything they just log in anyhow let's talk about uh, uh, vSphere Trust Authority. That, uh, that's a new, another new thing in 7.0. And to understand vSphere Trust Authority, we need to understand what got added in 6.7 as well. Attestation, the idea that third-party remote attestation, maybe not third-party, but remote attestation. Attestation is basically where a, uh, a well, an external party, uh, a party outside of of yourself, in this case, ESXi hosts, a party off the ESXi host takes a look at boot metrics, cryptographic information, cryptographic signatures as a system boots, and it verifies that everything looks correct, everything was done uh, as it should have been done, you're running software that uh, secure boot verified that uh, you're running software that's legit, it came from VMware, that sort of thing. And, uh, um, <clears throat> And then it gets attested. vCenter server attests that. And uh, um, if you fail attestation, that means something is wrong. Maybe there's malware on the host. Maybe something changed and it needs to be fixed. Maybe it's a configuration problem, that sort of thing. Uh, but in 6.7, there are no teeth uh, to it. So vCenter server uh, can run on a host which failed attestation. And the keys, the encryption keys that come from the key management systems flow through vCenter server potentially to an untrustworthy host. And that we still, we still get alarms. It's a good step forward, you know, verifying that, that uh, the host is set up uh, correctly or not and sending an alarm. But we can do a little bit better than that. You know, we also want to, there's a dependency loop here. We can't encrypt vCenter server. vCenter server holds a lot of the keys to the rest of the infrastructure, right? You know, and so we'd like to be able to encrypt it, things like that. And so let's see if we can get it out of the loop there. And we do that by creating a separate set of trusted hosts, a VTA management cluster, a vSphere Trust Authority management cluster. And this could be your normal man, if you've got a, uh, like VCF, the VMware Cloud Foundation calls their uh, set of management uh, hosts, just their management domain. Maybe you have some separate management hosts and that becomes your trusted hosts, your root of trust. Uh, and then you've got all your workloads and things. Ideally, you'd have a separate cluster, but you know, that's an architectural thing and you need to buy some small servers and then you've got extra stuff to run. So regardless, you've got an external set of hosts. In this case, it's the blue hosts that are then attesting the green hosts. And it gets, uh, and the process is just, it's a process on ESXi that's doing it. vCenter server is completely out of the loop. And then we also have the key manager talk to those attestation services. And if the attestation service says that you don't pass attestation, you don't get access to the encryption keys. You know, we keep our secrets to ourselves. You know, we maintain confidentiality there. And so, uh, in fact, if you fail attestation, the entire cluster sort of shuns you. You still are part of the cluster, but but uh, there's a lot of things that you can't do anymore in a VTA-enabled cluster and until a human comes along and sorts out why you might have failed. You know, do you have malware on, on you? Did somebody misconfigure you? What, what's going on? 
all of this, it's very important that you have a, a trusted platform module uh, installed on your, your physical hardware, uh, TPM 2.0. If you're buying new servers, get TPMs in them, trusted platform modules. There, I think the list price, uh, I think I've got a screenshot in a little bit. A list price is like 60 bucks, you know, 40% discount. They're down to about 40 bucks a host. And they enable a whole bunch of stuff. It's well worth it. Try, uh, take it from me. It's well worth it to get one and install it. So let's talk about notable vulnerabilities here. Let's see. I don't see anything in the, the Q&A, which is fine. If you think of something afterwards, just hit me up on Twitter. You know, no problem. I'm here for you. The, uh, uh, and if I'm not here for you, I will eventually come back and, and answer your question. Sometimes I do sleep. The uh, uh, notable vulnerabilities. And I will, will say, if you've ever heard me talk before, uh, Ken has heard me talk at uh, Tech Field Day, and I was a big proponent of patching. Uh, the only way to truly remove a vulnerability from an environment is to patch. Uh, you can otherwise, you know, you're putting a band-aid a band on it, uh, a comp a compensating controls, you know, if you, and sometimes you can't patch. And so you do have to wrap the stuff in additional, you know, protections. You do have to have, uh, um, you do have to put a cast on it. But if you think about it, I love the an analogy of a cast because it's inflexible. You know, it prevents you from doing other things. My daughter's actually, she broke her wrist a couple of weeks back and uh, she's in a cast all the way up to her elbow. You know, the things that she can't do right now, immense, you know, and eventually, and what's starting to happen with her is that we, uh, uh, we're starting to maintain the cast more than, you know, deal with the injury. The injury's still, still there. I mean, she's healing, uh, but your, your systems don't heal automatically. You know, you need to patch in order to heal them, you know, and you end up, servicing the, the cast, servicing the band-aids eventually more than you would have even, more effort goes into that than you would have had if you just patched the darn thing. So that is my plea to you. It's uh, generally a good idea to patch. It's generally worth worth it, even if it's uh, uh, it seems like trouble at the time. Patching hardware too. Um, <clears throat> so the the biggest trouble point, I think we're up to well, like nine different waves of CPU vulnerabilities. And it looks like Intel might be kind of at their end of being able to fix what's shipped out there. Uh, some got released just what a week ago, two weeks ago here. There's nothing we can do uh, <clears throat> in, in the hypervisor. There's really nothing we can do anymore. And uh, so you need to patch your hardware. You need to go to Dell, go to IBM, or not IBM, go to uh, Lenovo, go to, that tells you how old I am in the IT uh, industry. Well, they do still make servers in all fairness. You just can't run ESXi on them because they're power PC, right? Yeah, that's true. You know, the power line, uh, the, uh, and power, I, you know, I, I actually started as a uh, AIX admin back in the day. And so, you know, near and dear to my heart there. AIX is cool. It had true plug and play everything, you know, if it just weren't so darn expensive. But uh, um, anyhow, I think we are on a tangent here. The, um, you know, there's new updates there. If you haven't, this is from January. There's new up, uh, there may be new updates now. The Intel management engine is actually a source of a lot of uh, pain lately as well. The management engine is a little computer inside of your server. The, uh, uh, yes, Ryan, power VM for, uh, for AIX. But the, uh, um, I never used that actually. Like that was actually after my time at AIX. But uh, the uh, um, the Intel management engine is a little scary. It's a, this this system buried inside your server running Minix. It's got almost unlimited access to the host itself, and it's not well understood. And as security researchers look at it, uh, we're seeing you know nine CVSS nine plus vulnerabilities come out for it, and that's really what what you got to look at. A lot of the CPU vulnerabilities that are out here right now are really theoretical. You have to have a really contrived set of circumstances to, to exploit them, and you're not gonna, it's, yeah. It, the probability of that happening, you'd be better off putting effort into patching and things like that, and so. But the management engine, the management engine is a way for attackers to uh, be persistent in your environment, to install malware, to uh, live through re reboots and things like that, and that's trouble. On my Dells, I'm sorry, I'm Dell focused. I've been a Dell customer for 20 years or whatever. So uh, if you've got Dells, you can go log into the iDrax and uh, just type in downloads.dell.com. I got that fixed uh, about a year ago so that you can just type it in and click check and then it'll download the, uh, the updates for you. 
Uh, you can also use the Rack ADM utilities on Linux or on, uh, on Windows. In this case, it's Windows, and the uh, uh, this is this is prime for a PowerShell loop, uh, one of the PowerShell 4-H loops. In fact, that's how I patch my firmware in my lab right now, and how I used to do it for you know 60 some odd hosts in my production environments <clears throat> when I was uh, out in IT. Was I just had a 4-H loop? I'd run a command like this, uh, and it preloads them so that in the next reboot they take effect. I will say that if you do this uh, on a Dell, the iDRAC will still update itself. And so if you lose contact with the IDRAX, that's why what's happening. The, uh, uh, we just released something, I think it was yesterday. So this is breaking news, kind of breaking news, lukewarm news, uh, massive set of vulnerabilities, uh, massive set of CVEs that Google actually helped us find. Um, we are partnered with Google for uh, cloud stuff. Our VMware Cloud on AWS isn't just VMware Cloud on AWS. We're in GCP, we're in Azure, we're in Oracle Cloud, all of that stuff now. And uh, uh, Google did us a solid and released uh, and told us about some, some things that they found. And uh, so that's all fixed. There's some workarounds here, but patching, it's, it's much easier to patch. A lot of NVMe stuff, it's a lot of device driver stuff. So, uh, Other things in the past, uh, the, there's an update problem with 6.7. If you updated to 6.7 from uh, six, well, from anything else, uh, the, uh, an ACL didn't get set on the LDAP directory that forms the core of SSO. And it sort of like kind of lets everyone in um, you know, it's, we're not very happy about this, but we're honest about it. These things happen. We'd rather uh, not hide it. We'd rather our customers be informed about them, let you know about it so you can take action. Uh, the moral of the story is if you upgraded to 6.7 and uh, if you upgraded to 6.7 or you don't know that you, you didn't upgrade from 6.7, you really need to patch. And given the news with uh, the other... Uh, VMSA here, you probably should just patch all the way around at this point. One other problem that's out there right now, uh, I talked earlier about the different the differing standards with certificate length and certificate expiration. There was some confusion for a particular version of 6.5. 6.5 update 2 and update 3 issued some uh, security token service certificates that had short lifespans on them. And as it turns out, we don't reissue or regenerate that during an upgrade. And so, uh, yeah, the upgrade team, the folks that do upgrade have been pretty busy lately looking at a bunch of stuff and uh, trying to learn from our mistakes. You know, can we do better here? And uh, uh, so it doesn't regenerate the certificate. If you can't log into vSphere one day, uh, the other thing too is it doesn't have an alarm about it like certificate expiration and ge generally speaking in vSphere has alarms about all of that stuff. And uh, um, then uh, it doesn't have an alarm either. And so <clears throat> if you can't log into vSphere and you get this uh, signing certificate is not valid, now you know what to, to look for. I've got a blog post out there, GSS. If you've got a support contract, um, call them up. They know how to fix that. They can get you operational really quick. There's a community forum for it as well. There's KB articles, one of the first KB articles I've ever written. Uh, it's all out there. So. so we're winding down. I've got about 11 minutes here and I've got about 400 slides left. So we're going to zoom through some of this stuff, but it should be fairly straightforward. Uh, a lot of it comes from, you know, where's the security configuration guide for vSphere 7? Oh my goodness, vSphere 7 is out. Um, typically when Mike Foley was doing it, it's Mike Foley's baby. He, uh, he, I've now adopted his baby. Uh, there's some internal stuff going on right now with compliance work and things. We're trying to deduplicate a little bit. We just reorganized, uh, the hyperconverged infrastructure folks into the cloud platform folks and vice versa. So we're sorting that out and how that works with VCF, uh, looking like August right now for late August for the uh, security configuration guide, the hardening guide for seven. And that's uh, pretty much standard with our uh, tracks with what Mike had always done. It always takes about a quarter for us to, to get that uh, squared away and to make sure that we check everything. It's actually hard to check some of that stuff because betas and things like that don't have quite all the right moving parts. Screenshots change, things like that. And we, you know, people need this to be pretty accurate. But we get asked, where is this thing? We've got customers that want to deploy this stuff right now. vSphere 7, the beta was super stable. People were really happy with it. Uh, if you want to be part of the beta, we're doing a continuous beta 
again, talk to your account execs. Um, being part of the beta lets you look at, uh, kind of see into the future. And uh, uh, we've got a continuous beta program going on. In fact, uh, there was a drop today, actually, yesterday or today. I've been on vacation. I've been working on, on my house this week. And so uh, uh, yesterday or today, um, a new beta dropped. And it's got new features in it. You can take a look at it and things like that. And so if you're interested in that, talk to your AE about, about that sort of thing. But we get people that are asking about, hey, how do I how do I move forward? We want to do uh, we want to deploy stuff. And as it turns out, most of the guidance in the 7.0 security configuration guide is going to be the same as 6.7. There's going to be some API changes. Uh, there's a lot more APIs in 7.0 uh, now, and that's really cool. We can get rid of SSH, things like that. But our guidance is basically the same. Turn on UEFI Secure Boot on your ESXi host. Enable TPM. You know, turn that stuff on and so that uh, ESXi can install and use it help verify itself, help use cryptography, cryptographic methods to verify the entire stack and drivers and things. Turn it on for your VMs as well. Uh, you can do <clears throat> TPM, uh, virtual TPMs if you use VM encryption. Otherwise, just turn on Secure Boot. All modern operating systems support it now. Turn it on, it's a checkbox in the VM config. A turn on EVC, enhanced vMotion compatibility. We've got a couple of competitors that keep telling people that, oh, it decreases performance. It doesn't actually. Well, it's complicated. It's, uh, it's, it'll decrease performance if your VM needed an a CPU instruction that isn't being presented to the VMs because EVC is masking it out. You know, but then you can, we've actually got a fix for that too. It's called per VM EVC. And it was a bug actually we discovered that you could set the per VM EVC to a level higher than the cluster was set, uh, set at. Uh, that was, uh, we found that as a bug and then we actually decided to keep it because that's actually kind of cool. And so, and it turns out the engineer actually designed it that way. And so, uh, um, yeah. Whatever. It's not a bug, it's a feature. Well, yeah, we can argue semantics either way here, you know, but uh, regardless, it turns out there's thought there and uh, it's pretty cool. And so that's the fix for that as well. But uh, um, isolation, you know, keep your hardware management, keep your IDRAX on their own network, keep your vMotion on its own network, keep your vSAN on its own network, keep your ESXi and vCenters on their own network. You know, use firewalls as checkpoints around you know, uh, choke, choke points, checkpoints, whatever, you know, the, uh, um, use the, use them to control access to those networks. It's defense in depth, use host-based firewalls, things like that. So this is a TPM. This is, uh, yeah, they're just little chips. You know, like I said, you can buy them. They're $60 here, you know, and they're 40 bucks with a 40% discount. Uh, oh, I guess I had a whole thing. EVC, turn it on. Uh, let's see. Like I said, the beta beta testing my presentation here. Isolation. The VVD has got some uh, uh, some great guidance about isolation here too. Uh, it's got sort of prescriptive VLAN IDs. You don't have to use them, but it's an example of of how you can separate traffic and so you can create trust zones and things like that. One thing to think about: hardware management controllers. They need their own, they're sneaky back doors, you know, there's uh, stuff you load on, so Dell, I'm going to pick on Dell, you know, uh, uh, familiarity breeds contempt sort of sort of thing here. Uh, Dell has got I, uh, IDRAC software, ISM, things like that, that you load in ESXi, and it can uh, install a backdoor, a pass-through from the IDRAC to ESXi. Well, you're, you're violating a, a security boundary there. And so I urge people to not use it. One, you're adding complexity where you don't need it because the iDRAC is fully featured without the software. You know, you can interact with the iDRACs just fine. And you can update firmware, you can monitor the hardware. I, I used to use a product called Observium. It's an open source SNMP monitoring thing. Did a great thing, uh, did a great job monitoring my iDRAC uh, stuff. It would tell me when a DIM has failed or I've blown a hard drive or anything like that. And that was really cool. And I didn't need all this extra software. And I didn't also have the complexity and the, the back doors to worry about either. Speaking of compliance auditors, you know, trying to explain that, it's hard. So other stuff to think about, uh, you know, as we're, you know, we're taking time here, uh, you know, uh, working from home and things. Think about setting up ADFS. Uh, if you're not using LDAP-S, if you're still using Active Directory over LDAP, you know, think about switching to LDAP-S and, uh, um, you know, 
Uh, that's actually a fairly easy transition. You just mostly just remove the old uh, identity source and just recreate it with all the same information, just with the SSL parts. Uh, the, pardon me, the security, uh, the certificates in them. Work on make, making patching easier. Schedule it, schedule it out. Schedule maintenance windows. If you don't have a maintenance window for your infrastructure, start working on getting one. You know, you need one. Shut SSH off. If you've got SSH on, turn it off, please. Uh, try to drive all that work through the role-based access control and vCenter server. Redo your templates. If you're redoing your templates, uh, turn on Secure Boot. Turn on uh, virtualized, uh, virtualized, uh, virtualized, I can't even talk anymore, virtualization-based security. It's what enables Microsoft Device Guard and Credential Guard inside of Windows. And uh, you don't have to enable Device Guard and Credential Guard, but if you've enabled it in your template, it's ready to go. It's got all the right devices installed, things like that. And the other thing that I tell people to do, make sure you've got an up-to-date asset inventory. How do you know that you've patched everything if you don't know what you've got? And uh, you know, make sure that you've got your top of rack switches in there. Make sure you've got uh, um, everything. You know, If you've got PDUs that have network interfaces, make sure that those are in there, that sort of thing. So I'm pretty much at the end, uh, you know, I've got three minutes left. You folks are being very quiet and I appreciate the, uh, that you're on here. Uh, thank you for watching. If you're watching uh, after the fact, uh, I really love v, v, the V Brown Bag stuff all throughout uh, my career here. You guys have been around for ages at this point, you know, starting to really feel old here. Uh, talk a little bit about resources. V Brown Bag is clearly a resource that you've already found, so I don't need to talk about that at all. The uh, VVDs, we talked a little bit about this already. Definitely a good resource in general, but also the compliance kits. DISA STIGs, the Security Technical Implementation Guides. Interesting reads. Uh, DISA is so far in the weeds as uh, with updating this stuff that we've, we've been trying to get a 6.7 STIG out there for ages. We're working on a 7.01 now, and actually DISA is uh, kind of giving up and declaring themselves uh, STIG bankrupt, and they're uh, creating a new process for this whole thing. So we're hoping that that's pretty quick here. But the same folks that are doing the STIGs actually have some stuff out in GitHub around uh, Ansible and automation with a lot of these things. And, and this is gonna be a real thing to watch as far as uh, future directions here. I'm, I'm eyeing this up. I'm probably gonna help them out with a lot of the stuff in the hardening guides. Speaking of hardening guides, uh, the uh, uh, 6.7 up, update one, well, 6.7 uh, hardening guide is out there. I've inherited this stuff now. There's gonna be some changes, but uh, keep an eye on this page. Keep an eye on the vSphere blog, blogs.vsphere.com. If you haven't signed up for security advisories, uh, do that. The VMS, just search for VMSA or VMware Security Advisory, and you'll get a page. They just redid the page, actually. It looks really nice. And the uh, uh, enter your email address. You won't get any spam. We send out 200,000 emails every time there's a VMSA. It's, it's cryptographically signed. Uh, there's PGP keys and all that stuff. And so, like I said, we don't use it for marketing or anything. It's just to tell you that something might be wrong. And, uh, and we appreciate that uh, people want to know that sort of thing. Don't have to really tell this crowd about nested virtualization and test labs and things like that, but uh, if you're watching, you know, I'll, I'll mention it anyhow. William has got a, a nice page on this, has had uh, the resources for a long time here. Uh, nested virtualization, you can run ESXi on ESXi, and it's, if you snapshot it, you can do whatever you want to it, and you just revert the snapshot. You can run vSAN. It's how we do a lot of testing. It's how I do all my screenshots and all of my testing. When somebody asks me a weird question, I can replicate it, and it's how the hands-on labs work. Just do your own hands-on lab. So other stuff, uh, support services, you know about that. Uh, vSphere Security, I took that over, uh, that Twitter handle, and I've been extremely boring about it. I'm sorry, uh, we will get, I will get better. The blog, we have a ton of stuff out on the blog, and as there's news, we put it out there. VMSAs, we're redoing vSphere Central right now, and so massive updates coming. That'll be really interesting to watch. VVDs, hardening guides, NIAP common cr criteria, that's some certifications that we've received, uh, important you know, compliance stuff. Uh, Dis Stigs, we talked about that. Uh, VMworld, sign up for VMworld. Uh, it's going to be all, all virtual this year, like three days, 24 hours a day for like two or three days uh, straight. And I got seven sessions this year. That's crazy. If this were an in-person thing, I would be dead. 
but I'm, it's all going to be pre-recorded and we'll be in the live uh, chat at, as it happens. VMUGS, uh, no need to stay local with VMUGS. Did you know the knowledge base has a blog and an RSS feed? Well, now you do. Skyline's really cool. If you've got a support contract, that's a really neat proactive thing. We talked about SSDSXI. So I'm a minute over. Thank you very much. We appreciate you folks. We appreciate you being our customers and your continued interest. The community is one of the things that has always made the uh, VMware great, and uh, I love being part of it. So thank you very much. And a whole minute over. I was getting ready with a big hook just to pull you off any moment, Bob. <laughs> Thanks very much for doing this. I'm going to pause one last moment or while I'm talking, get your questions in folks and uh, I will relay them if there are any outstanding in the meantime. Did you know that VMworld registration actually opened up just yesterday? So you can register for now free uh, tons of content that'll be available for you there. Um, if you're watching right now live and you want to go to a VMUG, there's one tomorrow, uh, the Indie VMUG. I happen to know because that's my VMUG. Uh, it doesn't look like there's any more questions. So I will say, Thank you and good night. And if you have any more questions, follow up with Bob on Twitter at Plankers. If you can't reach him, I'm sure Mike Foley would be just. No, Mike is actually him. rejecting stuff. He just tells <laughs> just people. Uh, actually, he's been answering the question and then telling people to go find me. So. That's funny. All right. Don't uh, bug Mike Foley. No, uh, reach out to me and I'll, I'll get back to you. For the folks that saying thanks, thanks back to you folks. Uh, thanks for being here. And I'll see you tomorrow at the Indy. Thanks very much. Good night.